You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I was invited by my uh, friend of mine uh, to go camping with his family. And so we went camping and we were out in the state forest area um, in Michigan, on the, on the Lake Michigan shoreline there. And one of the afternoons was spent sailing. They had a, a sunfish a sailboat. I don't know. Can I have the picture there? There it is. Okay. So it was like this. That's not us. That was, I just, <laughs> I just grabbed that off the internet to show you the picture. That's the kind of boat we were in though. It was that size and, and that stuff. So, so these kind of boats, there's not a lot to them. Okay. Sailboats can get pretty complicated and all the different sails and things, but there's one sail and there's two parts you have to consider. One is the rudder and see, wait, wait, go back. The guy in the, 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 in the back there, in his right hand, he's got the rudder, which controls the, controls the direction of the, of the boat that you want it to go in. Notice in his left hand, he's holding a rope. That rope went through a pulley system and essentially allowed the mast, the sail, to pivot on that front. There's a, a, a front um, pole. And so the idea was to you know, catch the wind and to sail. So that's the basic premise. And obviously, you get into some of these high-end sailboats and there's, there's all kinds of complexities in it. But the basic premise of a sailboat is this, that the more surface of the sail that is exposed to the wind, the more, it's gonna, more wind it's going to capture, the faster you will go and propel you then across the lake. So if I could have the next picture then. So a little, little, uh, little bit of physics here. Uh, you need to realize you're going to get a science lesson uh, here today. So essentially, if you're in a sailboat and the wind is from behind you, if you, if you manage the sail so it's, it's angled like it is on figure A, there's a minimal amount of wind that's actually capturing the sail. So if you want to go faster, what you need to do is let some of that rope out so that the wind will actually push the sail. And so you end up with something like figure B, and so the, the wind is capturing every inch of that sail and then pr- and propelling you then across the lake. So in this context here, then if you want to go faster, you let the sail out. If you want to go slower, you pull it back in. So there's, there's not as much wind capturing the, the sail. So um, you want to go slow, pull it in. You want to go fast, let it out. So after a while, we're sailing in the lake, and it was a blast. We had so much fun. But after a while, the friend told me to hold the rope. All right, now you get to do this. Um, and so it was actually pretty cool. You know, you're playing with it, and it captures it. And, and so I was, I was one that was in charge of controlling the angle of the sail. And uh, so again, it was just a wonderful experience. You know, we're gliding across the lake and go back and forth, and we're just, just having just a really, really good time until the breeze became a strong wind. And so the wind started picking up and it was getting harder and harder to hold the rope. And because of what I had been learning, I wanted to minimize the wind. And so I pulled back on the rope and pulled it in. And the harder the wind blew, the harder I'm pulling because I'm not going to let the wind beat me. I'm going to, I'm going to, my first time, I can't fail in my first time holding this. And so instinctively, I'm just pulling on the rope and pulling it harder and harder, and I'm you know, pushing against the, you know, my, against the side with my legs to, you know, to help anchor me. And then before I knew it, the wind blew us over. It just capsized us, and we're in the water. And uh, 
you know, so his dad's riding the boat. Obviously, with a boat that size, you know, you could write them fairly, uh, not quickly or relatively easy, but it, was, it wasn't that difficult to do. And so he was writing it. So while my friend and I were out there treading water, I was like, what happened? You know, what, what, what did that look like? And he said, what you were doing was perfect as long as the, as the wind is from behind you. And so what happened though is the wind shifted. And so now it was coming at us from the side. And so if I could have the next picture. So the wind's coming at us from the side and I'm pulling on the rope, wanting it to be tight. I'm actually giving the most exposure to the wind as possible. He said, in this case, under these conditions, under these circumstances, you sure will let out the rope. If you want it to go slower, so that in your figure D, the sail would have been perpendicular or parallel with the wind and it would have, if it was some angle, would have deflected the wind, but it clearly wouldn't have been capturing all of it, which is what happened. And obviously it, the wind won. Um, when the wind shifted, when the circumstances changed, I had to do the opposite of what I thought I should do. And so when he explained it to me, I was like, oh, okay, I, I get that. But I realized it was counterintuitive. It was exact opposite of what I thought should have been done. And so it wasn't a natural thought. So this act, this idea of, of acting counterintuitively is really kind of at the heart of what we're going to talk about today with Habakkuk. Um, the, the, what he did, and the, I think the lessons we take away from it, is not natural in the sense of it's not our first response. It's not what we'd normally do. It really is counterintuitive to how human nature um, would, has, has wired us, at least I think for most of us. And again, this, this series of Habakkuk is, we've entitled it Hope in the Dark. Um, because it, he's writing about a very difficult time. This is not an easy time. It's not, this is not light reading where you walk away feeling, hey, yay, that was great. You know, it's, you know, Habakkuk's complaining and he's upset about circumstances and conditions in his country. And he's, he's upset with God and he's yelling, essentially telling God, why aren't you doing anything? How could you allow this to go on? And, and all, going on and on and on in his complaint against God. And then God responds back to him and says, you're right. He says, I am going to do something, but you're not going to like what I'm going to do. And so not just getting rid of the sin, he actually has an opposing army come in and literally wipe out Israel at that. That was the last day, when that, 20 years later, when the Babylonians actually did come in, was the last day that Israel existed as a political entity until 1948. So Habakkuk was upset with God. God says, I'm going to do something, but you're not going to like it. And so Habakkuk then, all right, what do I do with this? And so that's where we're at. And so week one, we looked at this idea of just really asking questions like, God, where are you? You know, how, how, wondering about God and does he exist? And if he does exist, is he good? Is he trustworthy? How do I think about this? Just wondering if God is even there. And then the second week, we looked at this idea of waiting. Just sometimes God just doesn't. I mean, the, the situation, the circumstances that Habakkuk was referring to had been going on for a couple centuries now. God hadn't done anything. And why is that the case? And we discovered that this idea of wondering about God is really hard. Waiting on God is even harder. Much harder in trying to navigate that with, with our life and the questions that they raise. And so 
Today we're going to look at the idea of Habakkuk coming to terms with what God has told him. Um, he's, God's told him what's going to happen, that it's not going to be good, that he won't like the result. So Habakkuk is deep in the emotions in chapter 3. It's, you can just tell there's, he, he's re, this is a very deeply felt emotional response that we hear from him. It's a very painful time for Habakkuk. It's interesting. So you, you've got that dynamic. So let, let me just, this whole idea might be a better way to explain it so you understand just kind of the depth of how he's feeling. We see something very similar um, in King David in, in his Psalms. In fact, it's probably the most popular Psalm that the, the people are aware of, and it's Psalm 23. And in that, David is writing about a, a, this kind of a season that Habakkuk is going through. Obviously, they, didn't, they were not contemporaries. They were a couple hundred years apart. But David recognized and understood that this thing... And so David, in Psalms 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then he says this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, just as we've taken just a few minutes to talk about Habakkuk again and just read this part of, from Psalms 23, David's words, Clearly, these are two men who know what it's like to experience really, really difficult times, very difficult seasons in their life. And uh, so, Father, I pray that um, if any here are in a similar season, that they would find comfort and hope uh, in, the, in the words that we're going to look at even further. And for others, Father, that maybe aren't in that season, but this, maybe they know of somebody, maybe there's a family member or a friend who is struggling, that they could then be helpful or Father, maybe it's just something we need to tuck away for the future, knowing that sometimes life comes at us from directions uh, that we're not expecting. And uh, so, Lord, we just commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so Dave, what's interesting is David compared this very hard season to walking through a valley. Now, the verse I just read actually is not in your contemporary versions. It's actually the, the King James Version. The valley of the shadow of death. <coughs> So it's, it's very, it's like, wow, that's pretty intense. Um, the more contemporary versions say, even though I walk through the darkest valley. Clearly, they're talking, either one you want to go with, whatever your translation says, so you realize this is not a good season of life you're in. Whether it leads to death or not is one that you don't want to be in it. And they refer to it as a valley. Isn't it interesting how that we often talk about the, the good experience as being on the mountaintop? And the hard experiences are being in the valley. You know what the irony of that is? If any of you have been to mountains, there's nothing growing at the top. The really high ones. There's nothing up there. All the life happens in the valley. That's where all the growth is. That's where all the water is. That's, so it's an interesting dynamic that we aspire to things really that aren't really sustainable and we try to avoid some of the things that actually provide us the life and sustenance and meaning. And, but Habakkuk is a great example for how to navigate through dark valleys. So there are a few things we want to look at. What did he do that might be helpful to us today? One is that he reflected on the character of God. What is God's reputation to you? 
When you think of God, the idea of God, what does that look like? Or what, are, what words, what description, images come to mind? You know, if you just go out in the popular culture, just based on what you hear people say in interviews or movies or shows, the p- opinions you hear back often are not always very popular or positive. And quite often, some of God is portrayed as being harsh or judgmental. Here's the thing, though. If that's your perception of God, you're always living in fear of him always trying to please him, never feeling to measure up. It's really, really difficult to, to live under those kind of conditions. Or maybe the thought is that God is just, he's indifferent. He just doesn't care. You know, it's like if he's up there, you know, who knows? But even if he is, it doesn't seem, I was like, what a sad place to live in because there's no hope. I mean, yes, things are tough. We don't understand. But for us, there's always this sense of hope of what, that God is involved in, in it. And But it all comes back to your perspective of God. How do you perceive God and his relationship with his creation at large, but with even you as an individual? How do you perceive and understand that relationship? Listen to Habakkuk's perspective of God, because he talks about that in verse 2 of chapter 3. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. So there was a clear reputation in Habakkuk's mind about who this God was. And it was one of power and might and um, this idea of having even being in awe of what God had done. David, also in Psalm chapter 86, he has, and he's reflecting on God. He says, you, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. The writer of Deuteronomy, he says, referring to God, he says, he is the rock. He, his works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And then Job, in his comments, in the middle of his suffering and all the different things he'd gone through, he says, the spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So much of our actions are driven by our view of God and how he interacts with us. So how you perceive God has a direct effect on how you navigate through life. Whether it's one with hope and optimism and expectation or whether it's feeling abandoned, alone, or just living in fear. <clears throat> I, I, yesterday I was, I went for a bike ride and I had earbuds on and I was listening to a song. It's actually um, Jesus Love Never Fails by Jesus Culture. I, I love, someday we'll sing it here. <laughs> I don't know how that happens, but uh, I know. That's just, that's just my own personal thing. But listen to these words. Nothing can separate even if, I, even if I ran away, your love never fails. I know I still make mistakes, but you have new mercies for me every day. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. And maybe pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. The wind is strong and the water's deep. I'm not alone in these open seas because your love never fails. What is God's reputation in your life? What is your perspective of him? For Habakkuk, 
It all began with that. That was the foundation of everything. So we, we reflect on the character of God. The best way to do that actually is number two. Remember what God has done. We were at uh, dinner with uh, some friends last night and we're talking about life and different things and, and uh, Betsy commented, um, the conversation is dealing with sometimes challenges and the adversity that comes up in life. And the comment was that, you know, early on in our lives, especially in our, in our marriage, these things, things would pop up and seem to be much more traumatic um, and very difficult. And, but the observation was now that it's been a few years, we've been married and we've been around the blocks a few times, so to speak, it's, something pops up and it doesn't have the same impact on us. And it's not because that the situation is any less significant, it's because our thought is like, you know what? We've been here before. And look what God did here. And look what God did there. Look what, you know what? We're going to be okay. By remembering what God has done in your life, it gives you a greater sense of peace for the present and hope for the future. What does Habakkuk do? In verses 3 to 6, he says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed, but he marches on forever. Basically, Habakkuk was saying that this is the God of creation. This is the guy. This is the guy who made it all. Everything here. It, the, there's nothing here that's not under his control. God existed before the earth was created, and He's going to exist after it's gone. So He's remembering, recalling. This is who God is. This is what God has done in His life. What I've come to learn and discover is that when you look at life through that lens. Nothing else matters. Not that you don't care, not that things aren't hurtful or painful, but you know what? In the scheme of things, it just becomes more and more about God and your relationship with him. When we think about God's faithfulness in the past, it builds our faith and gives us hope in the present. David, um, in, in uh, Psalm chapter uh, 77, he says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I, mean, he, he just, uh, I love those, the images there. My untiring hands. I wasn't going to, you know, this, this appealing. My soul refused to be comforted. Just, I mean, he was, he was really struggling. But then drops down there later on. He says, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? So David's feeling all this stuff. But then a little bit of time goes by and he has a chance to reset the button, if you will. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal the years of the right hand of the Most High. 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of loving, of, of, of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. So even here, David, in the midst of all of his anguish and, and where is God? What's going on? He said, you know what? I'm going to reflect on what God has done. This is what I want to think about. This is what I'm going to meditate on. Reflect on the character of God. Remember what God has done in your life in the past. Let me say this as well before I even move on to three. God hasn't brought you to this point in your life today to just say, okay, you're on your own. Good luck with that. You know, he's invested a lot into you. All the things that he's helped to bring into your life, it's not done with you yet. He's not done with any of us yet. I find great comfort in that fact that I don't understand. I have more questions than answers and the season I'm in is just not what I want it to be. But at the same time, I know that God's not done. I know he hasn't just walked away and abandoned me and said, all right, you figure it out. He's still there. So remember what God has done. Number three is embrace the season. This is the part of Habakkuk's response, which is just like my sailing experience. It's really counterintuitive. It's like, really embrace the season? I mean, that's the last thing I want to know. Because our natural inclination is not to embrace it. We want to resist it. In fact, spiritually, we're going to come against it. We can couch it in all kinds of spiritual terms and, and write ones. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not condemning that, but that's our natural response. Our prayer is that God heal me. You know, or God deliver me from this situation. Or God take this problem away. God answer my prayer. That's our natural response. This idea of embracing the season is not natural. It's counterintuitive. But listen to Habakkuk's, or in verse 16. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. What a statement. It's like it was just, it was resolution, resolve. Okay. This is, this is my new reality, essentially what he was saying and coming to terms with that. Remember the name Habakkuk actually means to struggle, to wrestle, to, you know, to embrace. Although he didn't understand what God was doing, he may not even agreed or like, I clearly didn't like it. He may not have even agreed and God, there could have been a better plan, but at some point in time, he just had to say, God, I'm just going to trust the process. I'm going to trust you. And that's all I can do. James tells us, consider a pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Embrace the season. Now, let me pause there because there is this other side of the conversation because you could, the, the, the question that would be very fair to ask this, well, what about the verses in the Bible that talk about faith, living by faith? And what about the praying for someone to be healed and, 
And that's a proactive, that's a, that's a positive stance in something, doing something that way. So if we're saying we're to embrace the season, which means just kind of accept the circumstances you're in, isn't that kind of like giving up? And isn't that kind of like not having faith? And how, how aren't we supposed to believe and trust that God will act on our behalf? So isn't, am I showing lack of faith by doing this? And my, my response to that is no. Um, because remember that what we're talking about here is that when life, there are seasons like when I'm sailing that the circumstances change and all of a sudden we're hit with a wind out of the blue. Something happens that we weren't expecting. Calamity hits. Something happens and we don't know what to do. And our first response and our right response is to call on God. God, save me. God, help me. And that is the natural response and that is the right response. But remember, sometimes we talked about this fact that God doesn't always give us an answer and we're waiting. And I believe it's very appropriate and biblical and spiritually right that while we're waiting that we continue to persevere and call on God to intervene and call on God to do what, and to, and to remind God of the promises he's made. Sometimes, though, God gives us the answer. And sometimes the answer is good. Um, again, we were talking with someone recently, and, and they were sharing about just a difficult thing happening in their life that they cared very deeply about. And as they were praying about it, they just felt God speak to their heart that he was going to do something about that. And subsequently, that was confirmed with two or three other people that also said something that, I believe God is going to do this. And so their response was that God has spoken and God is going to do something. I don't know when or how or what. And so they're continuing to press in with prayer and fasting and faith, believing for the day when that is going to come to pass. What we're talking about here with Habakkuk is that God has responded and he said no. It's like with Paul. Paul was, had this physical disability. We don't know what it was, this affirmity. And God says to him, no, I'm not going to heal you. My grace is sufficient for you. With Habakkuk, I am going to intervene and you're not going to like the response. And in our lives, we come to those places and those circumstances where God has spoken and the answer isn't what we had hoped or wanted. It's at that point in our journey that we need to embrace the process. We need to embrace what God is doing. Um, and that's the part I can say this is really counterintuitive because what we're not saying is all right we're just going to give up and die this idea of embrace the seas all right it's still God what is it you're doing my observation with people who have come through those seasons and sometimes we've come through those seasons is again it's God it's not like God disappears or it's not that our problems become less significant it's just the fact that our desire for resolution changes. And it's just funny. It's not like I'm okay with it, but you know what, God? I just, I just want more of you. It becomes more about God and about him and about our relationship with him. It becomes more about that than about our circumstances. And that's what Habakkuk had come to that point. And I think that's for many of us have gone through seasons like that where we dive deeper into God, and which is the way it should be. And we've talked about this. Sometimes people, adversity comes and their response is to run away from God because they don't get what they want. And that is not what we need to be doing. We need to be doing, when God 
gives us a response that we don't like and it's not the one we were hoping for and it's hurtful and disappointing, I imagine there's going to be a season of where we're going to feel that. So I, it's not like I say, all right, you're going to flip a switch immediately and, and you'll be, hey, you know, we're going to be okay. And I think there's a season of life where we, we mourn that. But I think there comes a point in time where we've got to say, God, all right. You are God. You are the creator of the universe. There's so much I don't understand or know. Remember I talked about a couple weeks ago that our perspective is so limited. We can only see what's in front of us. Maybe a little bit in front of us, but we see very little. We don't understand. Listen to these words of... Uh, um, actually, no, I'm sorry. But it's at this point in the journey when we have to think and behave in a manner that, that really is counterintuitive. And instead of continuing to struggle, fighting against God running away from God. We have to trust and believe. We have to embrace the journey, trusting God along the way. One more thought here as well. Um, I think just, I was at a, I'm in a men's group that we meet on Saturday morning. It's what I've been part of for years. And uh, uh, we were talking yesterday about just seasons of life and circumstances. And, and came, one of the guys mentioned, and just one that we all latched onto really quick was that is that we have to realize, we have to remember that our hope rests on the eternal, not on the here and now. So our hope is not that everything is great and everything works out now. Our hope rests in what comes next. That's our hope. So yes, can God intervene? And yes, we pray and we believe and that God will do that. But in those instances when it doesn't happen, we have to remember our hope is on eternity. Eternity. It's not on the here and now. So lastly is worship through the valley. Listen to Habakkuk's, or worship through the valley. Here's the thing. Worship is not this mind over matter. You know, I'm just going to positive confession kind of thing. And it's not pretending that everything's great. Uh, Worship is is not high energy like, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm blessed. Blessed is now the new (laughs) word, right? Have you ever said that? How are you? I'm blessed. Um, it's not faking it. It's not trying to, you know, this idea of worship is simply acknowledging God's existence in your life and acknowledging God's existence in your situation. That's worship. Simply acknowledging that God is there. Listen to the words of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I mean, it's a pretty dark picture. There's no food anywhere, basically saying. There's no, there's no life-sustaining presence anymore. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk, at this point in time, had repositioned his sail. And instead of fighting against the wind, he repositioned it so it wasn't going to... He was still in the storm. He was still going through the wind, but the wind wasn't going to blow him over. He was going to be able to go th- get through it. He found comfort and hope, not in the removal of the problem, but by putting his trust in God. The worship of God in the difficulties of our lives opens the way for God to work through the difficulties. There's a direct correlation between our willingness to be open 
and God's ability to actually work through it. And lastly, there's this uh, acronym called PUSH. When we're in difficult seasons, it's praise until something happens. Praise until something happens. And I think what we've seen here in David and some of his psalms with Habakkuk, it's recognizing that God, you are who you are, and that's going to be my focus and attention. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.